0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. There's four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the, the four Gospels give the account of Jesus' life. Gospel means good news. And while you guys are turning there, I do want to say uh, that I was, even, I was encouraged yesterday because uh, we have one of our uh, seniors here getting ready to graduate in uh, the spring from Matoka High School who led a prayer walk at Matoka High School yesterday. Uh, He had planned it, kind of put it together with the help of some other faculty and staff. And I was just encouraged. I was impressed and encouraged at the same time. Uh, We had six or seven of our own students that were there. Uh, Some adults from here as well were there. And it was just encouraging to see so many people come out uh, from the community to pray through. We walked through the halls of Matoka High School praying over the classrooms the students. And I just want to say, man, that, that was encouraging to me. But at the same time, man, to hear the students that were there talk about how dark it is in our schools. To talk about just the brokenness. And I'm telling you, man, if you do not believe in spiritual warfare, uh, come and see me after uh, church today. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all about it. But, man, it's, it's, we live in, in just the, the brokenness. And so, man, we need to be a light this shines in that darkness, and so I just praise God for those that were there yesterday uh, to pray through that, and we should do more of that. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is where we're going to be today. We're not going to look at a specific passage today. Uh, we're kicking off this new series this year, um, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in it for the next several months. Today, is just going to be kind of an introducing uh, type of sermon, right, introductory type of stuff today, Gospel of Mark, and then we'll jump into uh, next week the actual chapter, chapter 1. Uh, but today we're going to start with introduction, and so I'm going to open us up a prayer, but go ahead and have your Bibles open, though, to the Gospel of Mark, or your phones, because I will be referencing some passages, and you might want to turn there and just kind of look at that as well. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for Today, this new uh, first Sunday of the new year, uh, we thank you, Father, that we can come together and, and worship together and sing together and read Scripture together. Father, you and you alone are worthy, and we want to build our life on you. Father, we need wisdom. We need your Holy Spirit. God, we need um, just your grace and mercy. We need each other. We need the, the church body. So, Father, I pray that as as we just continue to worship you, Father, as we study your word together, um, as we um, seek, Father, to exalt Christ in this place, I pray that you would be glorified uh, and that your spirit would continue to move and that we would see ourselves for who we are in light of who Jesus is, Father. We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of my favorite books is by uh, an author named C.S. Lewis. Uh, you may be familiar with C.S. Lewis, but the, the, the book that, that I like is, is Mere Christianity. And in that book, he talks about uh, something that's called the trilemma. How many of you are familiar with that, that term, trilemma? Uh, but basically, it is where C.S. Lewis breaks down uh, that Jesus was either, he was either a liar, a lunatic, Or he was indeed Lord. How many of you guys are familiar with that phraseology, right? Liar, lunatic, Lord, right? Jesus, some people say, man, Jesus was uh, a liar, that he was very good at deceiving people, and uh, he just really took a lot of people in the wrong direction. A lot of people say that Jesus was a lunatic. Some of the things that he said, he was just off his rocker, he was out of his mind, he was a lunatic. And then. If he's not a liar or a lunatic, then he must be Lord, right? That's kind of how that argument goes. Uh, Lewis goes on to say, and I'm going to quote from the book. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So that's the question. Who is Jesus? What is the truth about Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And those are some of the questions that we are going to be answering as we walk through the Gospel of Mark Uh, Over the next several weeks, we'll be answering those questions. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done for us, what does this gospel demand of his followers, his disciples, those who uh, say, hey, I am following Jesus. He is Lord of my life. And so today, as we introduce the gospel of Mark, I want us to look at four things. We're going to look at Jesus and Mark. Uh, We're going to look at Mark being the author of this gospel. We're going to look at uh, Jesus and others. How did others in the gospel of Mark respond to Jesus' claim um, and what he came to do? And then we're going to look at uh, Jesus on Jesus. What, What did Jesus say his mission and purpose was throughout the gospel of Mark? And then finally, we're going to wrap it up by looking at Jesus and you. Jesus and you. So the very first thing we're going to look at is Jesus and Mark. Uh, The author of the Gospel of Mark is John Mark. John Mark. uh, He's kind of got two first names, right? John Mark. Um, John being his Jewish name and Mark his uh, Roman name. John Mark, if you don't know that much about him, John Mark did not have a good start uh, in ministry. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter 13, we see John Mark actually... Uh, leaves the Apostle Paul and Barnabas during their first missionary journey, and that does not make the Apostle Paul very happy. As a matter of fact, they're, they're kind of a, a rift between the two, and, uh, and Mark John Mark goes his own way, and Paul and Barnabas go their own way. Uh, but the good news is, is that we see throughout Scripture that they seem to reconcile at some point. Uh, because Paul mentions John Mark in Philemon, verse 24, and Colossians 4.10 as being a co-worker in the ministry. Now, I don't know if they became best buds or not, but they were at least pals, right? Okay, all right. Uh, so that, that's, that's uh, John Mark. He was the author. Mark was not one of the twelve disciples that follows Jesus, uh, but Mark was probably one of those Younger folks and the larger crowds, when you read throughout the Gospels, the large crowds kind of followed Jesus wherever he went. And, um, and so you, you probably see uh, John Mark in, in that crowd. Um, we also see that, uh, that John Mark probably got most of his material for his Gospel from Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. Peter, in his first epistle, 1 Peter 5.13, speaks very affectionately of Mark, referring to him as Mark, my son, and so he also uh, wrote that Mark was with him in 1 Peter. Uh, Acts chapter 12, the very first place that Peter goes to after he's been released from prison by the angel of the Lord, is he goes to John Mark's house. And so most likely, Mark is writing this gospel as he's jotting things down, Peter is whispering these stories in his ear, and he's he's kind of he's jotting them down. Um, another indication of Peter's influence on Mark's gospel is the vivid eyewitness details of the gospel. Uh, there is more uh, detail in the gospel of Mark than any other gospel, as, as far as the way that Mark describes certain things. He goes into great detail. Uh, and so it's like Peter is describing as if he's, he's there. He remembers, hey, Jesus turned this way and looked this way. And, and so you see that, that vivid detail in Mark's gospel. Another indication of Peter's influence is that Peter usually spoke Aramaic, and Mark has more Aramaic phrases than any other gospel. Mark is writing to a Gentile church in Rome. He seems to explain in more detail Jewish customs uh, than any other gospel, right? Because he's writing to Gentiles, people who would not be familiar with Jewish custom. He uses more Latin words and phrases. You'll see phrases and words like legion and praetorium in the gospel of Mark that you wouldn't necessarily see in the other gospels. Um, You also see that the last person to confess Jesus is is a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. Uh, And all of this is evidence that Mark is writing to the church in Rome. They are experiencing persecution from the Roman emperor Nero, uh, severe persecution where Nero is killing Christians. And so Mark is writing this gospel to encourage them to fortify them in their faith in Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel is the shortest of the gospels, and many scholars believe it is the first gospel to be written. Mark is and has been for a very long time one of my favorite gospels because it is an action-packed gospel. One of Mark's favorite words that he uses throughout the gospel, he uses it 42 times, is the word immediately. Immediately, immediately. Jesus and him left. Immediately they went here. So it's just an action-packed, action-packed, fast-paced type of gospel. It's like he moves from story to story, cutting away uh, to different camera shots to give you a different angle every time. I love how Mark's gospel begins. It kind of begins with uh, kind of hit, hitting the ground running, right? It begins like this. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark does not waste time with a birth story like Matthew and Luke does. Um, he does not go into any genealogy, but but I want you to notice that he starts very similarly to the way the Gospel of John starts. John starts his Gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Mark says, the beginning of the Gospel, that's lower G, not big G, as in the book, but The gospel, the good news, that Christ has come in the flesh to pay the penalty for our sins, right? The beginning of the gospel. And so Mark is actually alluding all the way back to the beginning, the book of Genesis, of when it all started. How this plan was set in motion by God from the very beginning. I love that. Mark's gospel is very fast moving. It's to the point. I love this gospel because it is an in-your-face type of gospel. It is a gospel that, 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 that Jesus comes onto the scene and he is in your face. And it's like, man, he is here. He's going to shake things up. Um, I love the fact that uh, um, verse 10, it says uh, when, when, when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, I love the, the word there. The ESV and the NIV, I know, says that the heavens were, were torn open. When the dove comes down on Jesus at his baptism... Uh, It says the heavens were torn open. Does anybody else, look at your, if you have your Bible open, if you don't have an ESV or NIV translation, does anybody, can anybody else read what your verse 10 says there? Does it have a different word? Split Split, up. that's a good word. Anything that says torn open or split open, that's a very good translation of that word. I know in first service somebody read the New King James Version. Does anybody have the New King James Version? Stephanie, what you got there? What does it say? Okay, so that's, that's a weak translation right there. The New King James Version. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is. It is a weak translation. I'm not. I'm not dissing the New King James Version. I'm just saying, ES, ESV man. ESV is where it's at. Um, no, nah, I'm just kidding. But seriously, the the, the word that, that listen, Matthew. Matthew. Does somebody else have something else? What what you got? What what translation are you? Sky opened. Yeah. The, the Greek word there literally means to, to, to tear, right? And, and Matthew does not use that phrase, uh, but Mark does, and I think he does it intentionally because what he's saying there in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Mark, he is saying that the heavens tore open, Jesus is here, the kingdom of God is here, he is in your face, and the Gospel demands a decision. And I love that. I love the fact that, that that's, that's what he's, he's saying. He's saying the gospel demands a response. How are you going to respond to Jesus? And that leads us to the next point, which is Jesus and others. How did people in the gospel of Mark respond to Jesus? Well, some people believed, some people did not believe, and some people were just flat out confused Those who believed, it's very interesting, and and we'll see this as we walk through the Gospel of Mark. But but when you start to see the people that believe in Jesus, they're not the people that you would think they would be, right? They're, They're not the religious elite type of people. They're not even, a lot of them, Jews, right? When you start to see people that are believing in Jesus, they are people who are considered to be outsiders. People who are pushed to the margins of society. You see people um, who who are disabled. You see women. You see Gentile people coming to the Lord. And I think that's fascinating because, remember, Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, is, is whispering in Mark's ear as he's writing this. And it's towards the end of Peter's life. And he's he's, he's, he's he's getting it. He's like, hey, you know what? The gospel's not just for the Jews. The gospel is for everybody. And that's what Mark is showing us as we read through this gospel and we see that these outsiders, the people who weren't supposed to get it, actually become insiders and they get it. And what's fascinating is that the flip side of that is the religious leaders, the Jews, the people who were supposed to get it, the people who knew the Old Testament scriptures, they were the insiders. They were the ones who, hey, this is, this is the Messiah. This is the one that was supposed to come. And you see that, 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 that throughout the book of Mark, they're not getting it. They, they be, the insiders become outsiders. And, and the religious leaders, especially towards the end of the book, man, really turned up the heat on Jesus to kill him. And so it's, it's fascinating, man, that the outsiders... Become insiders and the insiders become outsiders. I I think it's fascinating too, man. I think more so than any other gospel, you see uh, Jesus interact with demons and evil spirits in the book of Mark more. I love I love whenever you see an evil spirit or a demon, uh, they, they know who Je- they're They're obviously the outsiders, right? But they know who Jesus is, right? They're like, they see Jesus coming, and, and it's like, oh, Jesus, we know who you are. You are the one, the, the son of God, or you are the Christ, right? And, and Jesus immediately says, that puts, puts, uh, puts them, shuts them up because he doesn't want them to, you know, blab it out. And so it, it's fascinating to see that and how that all plays out. But then you have the the, the disciples, right? You would think the disciples would be the ones who would get it, but honestly, they are not portrayed that well in the book of Mark. As a matter of fact, of all the Gospels, the book of Mark, they are portrayed the the worst as far as just not getting it, not understanding. Like in the book of Mark, Jesus is, is harshly critical of the disciples, more so in, in Mark than any other gospels. They're, they're portrayed as confused, at times just not getting it. One of the biggest instances of this is one of my favorite stories. It's in Mark chapter 10. We'll get there several months down the road. But um, it's when Jesus has just I mean, he has just poured out his heart. Right, He has this, this intimate moment with his disciples. He's poured out his heart. He's told them. He says, "Hey, listen, guys, I am about to go to Jerusalem." And I'm about to lay down my life. There are going to be people who are going to turn me over to the authorities. And I am going to be mocked. And I am going to be beaten. And I am going to be killed and then crucified. Like, he's just poured out his heart to his disciples. And the very next thing out of his disciples' mouth is this. I mean, he just said, they're, they're like, hey, Jesus, by the way, when you get to heaven, can we sit on your right and left? And Jesus is like, what? What? You don't get it. Right, and that's the picture you see throughout uh, the gospel of Mark. And I think what's interesting about this, again, Peter is the one sharing this information with Mark. And you would think that if you are Peter, you're one of the disciples, you would want to kind of portray yourself in the best light, right? You would be like, hey, Mark, write this down. And you would tell a story where the disciples really knocked it out of the park, right? You'd be like, yeah, man, Peter, he, he really rocked it in that story, right? But that's not what you see here. And I think that just gives validity to the story to the gospel, right? That this is this is the real deal. It shows us that God uses broken people. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think what what Peter again is is learning and he has learned throughout his his days walking with Jesus and being restored to Jesus and, and, and then starting the church. And I think Peter has, has learned that it's not about him, right? That it's not about the disciples. Let me ask you a question. I, I did this test with my family last night. Um, Jude, my oldest son, uh, was sitting at the dinner table, and he says, hey, Dad, ask us a Bible question. Get us a Bible quiz or whatever. I said, all right, because I had just, just finished writing this uh, the day before. I said, name all the 12 disciples for me. He's like, hmm, he names a few. And then Robin chimes in, my wife, she starts naming a few. And uh, I'll be honest, man, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm a pastor, and uh, I, I couldn't name all 12 of them. Confession time, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but here's my point in all that, right? We got to like seven. We, got, we, we know the big three, right? You got Peter, James, and John. And then, you of course, you know Judas because he's the one that betrays Jesus. And then we can name Matthew. And then there's a few other we can name. But like all 12, it kind of gets a little fuzzy, right? But I think that's the point. The point is not the disciples. The, point is not the, fo- the focal point is not the disciples. The focal point is Jesus. He's the main point. And that's, that's what I think Mark is, is getting across here. That's what Peter is, is, is helping Mark to get across, is that the point is not about me, but it's about Jesus. Our involvement in God's kingdom is not about the advancement of my little rinky-dink kingdom. Amen? It's not about your kingdom. But our involvement in the kingdom of God is about advancing His kingdom. It's about advancing the gospel. It's about making much of Jesus, and that's the point. And that moves us to the next point, which is, what did Jesus view himself in his ministry in the Gospel of Mark? Well, we've already said that the purpose of Mark's gospel was to encourage the Gentile church in Rome. They're they're going through persecution. But more than that, he wanted them to see that Jesus is the God who serves. Jesus knew what his purpose was. Jesus knew his mission. And when you get to chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, we have reached kind of a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Mark. We we reach a turning point uh, in the Gospel of Mark because up to that chapter, chapters 1 through 7, uh, Jesus' ministry is focused in Galilee, and he's done a lot of miracles, he's done some teaching, uh, but, but when you get to chapter 8, man, the focus really begins to turn inward, and Jesus spends the rest of his time teaching his disciples because he knows his time is short. And so chapter 8 is a huge critical turning point in the book of Mark, and Jesus begins to really ramp it up and tell what his purpose and his mission is, but he's very subtle at times about it. Here's what I mean, right? There's three occasions, very easy to remember. You can write these down where Jesus is very plain about his purpose. Mark 831, Mark 931, and then Mark 1033. Pretty easy to remember Mark 8, 9 and 10. And I'm going to read them for you. Mark 831 says this Says Jesus then began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Chapter 9, verse 31, he says the same thing. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Chapter 10, verse 33 Pretty much the same thing. He says, guys, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed. They will condemn him to death. They will kill him. But three days he will rise. And then you get to the what I call the granddaddy of them all, right? This is this verse, verse chapter ten, verse forty-five, is kind of like the centerpiece for the whole gospel of Mark. Right. If you have your, your table and you've set your centerpiece in there, chapter 10, verse 45, highlight that verse. This is the centerpiece of the whole gospel. Jesus says these words. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. It's a huge word right there, It's a ransom for many. See, when Jesus said that, he's eluding To Isaiah 53, where Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant. Where Jesus is going to come and he is going to uh, be crushed for our iniquities. And so Jesus is is alluding to, to that passage, Isaiah 53, where he is going to be a ransom. He is going to purchase back our salvation, right? He is going to, to, to be the ransom. He's going to give up his life. He is going to be the sacrifice, the substitute, so that we could be restored back to God, so that through Jesus and his shed blood, we could have peace. But I want to draw your attention to what Jesus said. Notice in each of those passages 831, 931, 1033, and 1045, Jesus says, The Son of Man. Son of Man." And this is something I learned. I didn't, I didn't realize this. Uh, it may not seem like a big deal, but, but the phrase "Son of Man" is a key phrase that Jesus actually uses more often throughout all the Gospels than the phrase "Son of God." He uses the phrase "Son of Man." And one reason, certainly, is because Jesus is indicating his humanity. Jesus is saying, I am a son of a man. I am a human being, right? And that is extremely important uh, for us because if Jesus was not a man, if Jesus was not fully human, uh, he had to be born uh, into this world through a virgin under the law so that he could redeem us from the law. Like That's important. If he didn't do that, then that wouldn't work. So he's, he's saying he's identifying himself as, as a human. But another reason Jesus uses the phrase Son of Man is because it would have been very subtle. You see, that one of the reasons why Jesus, in the early parts of the Gospel of Mark, when he heals somebody or he talks or, or rebukes a demon or evil spirit and he tells them to shut up or remain quiet, is because he's trying to conceal his identity as long as possible because his time has not come yet. And so when he begins to talk, about his mission and his purpose and what he's about to do, he uses the phrase, son of man. Because if he hadn't, if he had just come out and said, hey, I'm God, or I am the Messiah, then people would have tried to put a a literal crown on his head because they would have thought he was going to be the king that overthrew Rome. So Jesus is very subtle. But, But here's the thing, those with ears to hear... That phrase, Son of Man, they would have been able to hear an Old Testament prophecy from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm not going to read it. You can actually write it down and go back and read it later. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, which Jesus was claiming the title, Son of Man, as a very exalted role in the history of redemption. Go go read that passage, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And so what Jesus is doing when he uses that phrase son of man, not only is he saying, yes, I am a human being, but yes, I am the Messiah, I am the king, I am the anointed one, I am the one who has come to lay down my life. That's what Jesus is saying. And that is the good news of the gospel. Right? Mark opens his book with the good news the beginning of the gospel. Gospel means good news. That Jesus came to earth to give his life as a ransom. That's the good news of the gospel. And that leads us to the last point. Jesus and you. How will you and I respond to this good news? Because Mark makes it clear throughout his gospel that at the heart of the gospel is this call to discipleship. It's a call to follow Jesus. And listen, as you read through Mark, as we study through Mark, you're going to see that this is not a decision that you take lightly. This is not a, a decision where we're kind of like wishy-washy back and forth. You know, well, you know, I think I'll, I'll, I'll follow Jesus today when it's convenient for me, but, but when it's not convenient, then I'm not going to follow Jesus. That, that's not what Mark is saying here, right? For Mark, discipleship is a wholehearted All in, like all of our chips are in. My chips are in for Jesus, right? That's that's a wholehearted relationship. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus said these words. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does that mean to deny yourself and take up your cross? What does that mean? Well, I think... Again, Peter is whispering these things into Mark's ear and Peter would soon find out what it means to bear your cross because he would literally, literally walk out onto a Roman road and he would be crucified for his faith except Peter would be crucified upside down on a cross because he said he, said he was not worthy to die like his Lord and Savior. So Peter knew firsthand what it meant to bear your cross. At the very most, that's what it means. At the very least, cross-bearing and denying ourselves means saying no to self and saying no to sin and saying yes to Jesus and others, serving others. At the very least, that's what it means. It means that I am prepared for whatever comes my way and my faithfulness to follow Christ at home, at work, at school, right? It it means that, that every day I am waking up and I am saying no to myself. I am crucifying myself, as Paul would say. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me it's not about my wants. It's not about my selfishness. It's not about my self-righteousness. It's not about my ego. It's not about my pride. But I am dying to those things. And that is an everyday process. That's what it means, at the very least, to deny yourself and follow Jesus, to bear our cross. It means, it means that, that, that we, are, we are doing the redemptive thing day in and day out. The hard things, right? The things that sometimes we just like, eh, I don't feel like doing that, right? We step into those tough situations, right? We, we engage with our children. We, we point them to Jesus. We pour into them. We pray for them. We step into those, those dark situations, right? We're a light that shines in the darkness. Even when it's uncomfortable, that's what it means. To go back to our C.S. Lewis quote from the beginning liar, lunatic, or Lord, I think Mark certainly presents Jesus as the God who serves, as Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, the only option is for us to fall at His feet and to worship Him because He alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? And so I want to challenge us as we kick off this new year and as we begin to study the gospel of Mark, right? We sang the song, I Will Build My Life. This is what Mark is talking about, right? This is the challenge for us. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, the reason we, we when we, we pick our sermon series, we don't just pick them at random, right? We're not just spinning the wheel with all the Bible names on them and saying, okay, wherever it lands, right? We're intentional with what we prepare. We pray about things. Last year, we went through Genesis. It was very intentional, we prayed about what to go through this year. And we, we said, hey, Mark, because we want to be intentional about how we lead you as a church. We want to see you grow in discipleship. We want, and that's what Mark is going to do. Mark is going to challenge you in your, in your discipleship. And as leaders of, of this church, we want to lead by example. We want to be challenged ourselves. We want to be in those discipleship relationships where people are holding me accountable and we want you to be in those relationships well as, as well, where you are reading the Word of God and you are praying together and you are being held accountable. People are asking you the tough questions. That's what we want. We want to see you grow in your relationship. We want to see you grow as a disciple so that you can make more disciples. That is what we want to see. And so Mark, man, is a great book for new believers. It's a great book for for mature believers. It's a great book for people who don't believe at all because you're confronted. This is who Jesus is. Am I going to believe it? Am I going to fall down and worship him? Or am I just going to kind of, well, he was a good teacher. He was a lunatic. He was a liar. Right? Or if you're a believer, you're confronted. Hopefully you're confronted like, man, I don't know that I'm following Jesus the way that I should. And hopefully it's a healthy conviction, right? That's not. That's not. That's not a. I feel guilty, uh, but but more of a like a motivation for like, man, I want, I want to grow. And so that's our prayer as we move forward here. Okay, you guys, good. Have I told you I love the Gospel of Mark? I love the Gospel of Mark. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to just kind of walk through this introductory stuff and. Uh, God, I pray that as we begin to uh, to study, that that we would just be challenged, Father. That we would read through the Gospel of Mark, uh, that we would be challenged, Father, to um, to just examine our own life and and see where we can just grow in our love and affection for you, Father. That's our desire. Thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for pursuing after us, Father. We we just pray. God, your Holy Spirit to fill us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.